0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. For those of you who are uh, maybe new to worshiping with us here at this place or visiting, um, regardless, welcome. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that your understanding of uh, a theme, really kind of a vision for the year that we have, when you get your newsletter Uh, that you're going to pick up when you leave if you didn't already get one, right? Because there's lots of great information in here. Uh, When you pick up your newsletter, one of the things that you'll see right here at the top of the second page, not because it's secondary, but because it's important at the top of this page of information, it says, keep your focus on building the body at SCV, South Canadian Valley Church of Christ. Um, We have talked about this throughout the year. And as we went into the year of 2022, We talked about this as a concept, something that we would come back to and we'd think of. So this morning, I want to look at some things that can help improve our worship assemblies as we come together publicly as the church that can help strengthen the church, specifically by looking at Scripture through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, But before we do that... I want to talk about some things that I think would be important for you to keep in mind as we go through many of these passages in 1 Corinthians, okay? So for those of you, as you go through your daily Bible reading, as you go through your process of studying the Bible, keep these guiding principles in mind. What is Scripture for? Okay, why do we have the written word? What can we use it for? What, how does it benefit us? what is it do to help how, what is it there to help us with in 2nd timothy chapter 3 verse 16 it says all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness so here's a paraphrase of this so it's a paraphrase here's a paraphrase of this verse that i like all scripture is inspired by god and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right okay being spiritual isn't just about not doing stuff you're not supposed to do okay we all have to understand that that's one aspect but Even though we remove sin and we remove evil from our life, God wants us to replace it with things that are good and things that are righteous and things that are holy. So as we look into any scripture, if we keep these things in the back of our mind, we're going to find lots of these principles. We're going to find doctrine right, that teaches us something that is true, a baseline foundational principle that you ought to know we will go along and we're going to find out that here's the truth and I'm not doing that right and so I feel reproved rebuked i'm shown what is wrong in my life then we see many times in scripture that we're correct what's wrong so here's the truth here's where you're wrong this is what you need to do about it and then we also see this idea of instruction and in righteousness pointing us in the way that we ought to go and the new way that we ought to think the direction god wants us so keep this in the back of your mind, and we're going to come back to it as we look through some of these passages in First Corinthians about improving our assemblies and strengthening the church. And I believe that this will help you in all of your study, in all of your reading. And the other thing about Scripture is, we look at any passage, as we look at any teaching, um, I come back to this idea of what the Apostle Peter, inspired by God, says in Second Peter chapter one verse twelve. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. So, Peter says, look, I'm writing about some stuff that you already know about. Okay? I'm going to do that from time to time. Do you ever hear preaching in this pulpit or any other pulpit where you're like, heard that before? Yes, that's purposeful. Peter says, we need to be reminded of these things. And he goes, and as long as I'm alive, right, what I'm going to do is keep pointing you back to those things to continue to cause you to remember things that are important. So he had just been talking about add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control, right? He had just talked about those things and he was about to launch into, in 2 Peter, in this letter, he was about to launch into all things about false teaching, Things that we need to be mindful of and aware of and be careful. So in this sense, as we go through this study this morning, we can think about doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness. But we can also think about some of these things you know. And I'm not here to tell you about certain things this morning because I think that there's some problem with this church. I'm not here to address concerns that I have specifically because I think that you have to know. But this is about us being alert, right? Having our awareness heightened to, to have these warnings and these things that we look to see that these problems don't creep in. And they don't exist here in this place. Because Satan wants to use you to harm this church body. That's the truth. God wants to use you to benefit this church body. Let's launch into the case of Corinth. Here are some problems. We could talk about lots of them. We're not going to cover them all. But here's some problems that we see the church in Corinth that we find throughout the letter written to them, the first letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 Scripture says, now I plead with you. So this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church at Corinth. He answers some questions that it seems that they may have had. And he's also heard some things that he's going to address. And he's going to make sure they understand what they need to do. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did that get your attention? So here's Paul pleading with the church at Corinth. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is likely important, what he's about to say next. It's in the name of Jesus that he wants to point this out. He says, you all should speak the same thing, and there should be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brother, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul. Or, I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? The answer to all those questions is no. Christ isn't divided. Paul wasn't crucified for your sins. right? Neither the people in Corinth, nor the people sitting in Norman this morning, or online in Norman this morning. (laughs) Or were you baptized in the name of the Paul? I I hope that you were not. You were baptized in the name of Christ. The answer to those things is no. And as he addresses this letter, really at the outset of what he says to the church at Corinth for 16 chapters, that's man's divisions, but write this pretty long letter, 16 chapters full. He starts off by saying, I hear that there's some division and some contention. If we look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he comes back to the same theme later in the letter. In verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and a part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So quickly, if we go back to the outset and we talked about some of those guiding principles, I see some reproof here. I hear the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a church where he says, Here's some problems that I'm pointing out and you need to understand that they're problems, right? Here's some things that are wrong. Can't have it. We'll talk about what to do about it later. The church at Corinth was divided on all kinds of things, but I want to at least think about a few examples here that we see. Um, We just read that some of them were divided on which leader they should follow. Okay. Some people aligned with Paul and some said, you know, I'm, I'm I'm one of Paul's guys. And then someone else says, Well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm in I'm on Team Apollos, right? Someone else, Peter, Cephas, that's that's who that is. Cephas is Peter. Uh, people were aligned under different leaders. And Paul says, Stop it. No. Not only should you just be aligned with Christ, period, no other man, no man but Christ. But you're divided on all these things. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there was a lot of contention and dispute over what was okay to eat. Were meats offered to uh, sacrifice to idols? Was it okay if you went to the meat market and you learned that that was there and you bought that and you took it home and ate it? Is, is that okay or not? And There was a lot of people who fought over this issue. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the context of the church coming together and it's talking about there the Lord's Supper and some things he's trying to address, it seems very clear to me that there was some problem between the rich versus the poor. There were, and, and we'll talk about some of those things later, um, but there, there were divides over socioeconomic class. They looked at each other differently because of those kinds of things. Um, the use of spiritual gifts. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and other places, it seems like there was lots of problems, even though these uh, people had been given miraculous gifts by the laying on of the apostles' hands. That's how they had them, but they were using them improperly, and they were causing division and chaos and confusion. Um, the resurrection of the dead. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says there are some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead. Right? There were divides. There were cliques. Right. There was this group that thought this and that group that thought this and this team that did that and that team. It's not supposed to be like that at the church. Not supposed to be like that. So why did these things exist? Well, we could go on and on about this. But I want to point out to you what First Corinthians chapter three, verse three says, for you are still carnal. So this words mean you're still fleshly. You're still thinking like everyone else in the world, just doing whatever it is that you want to do. You are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? It's like, that's what you see out there, right? That's not the church. That's what's out there. That's what everyone else does, because they just do whatever they want to do and think whatever they want to think. That's not how you think in Christ. You're not divided on these things. So, part of their problem was they're fleshly. James chapter 3, verse 16 says, Where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That describes some of what we see at the church in Corinth a bunch, a bunch of mess. And some of it has to do with this they're fleshly and they're divided on all these kinds of things. Arrogance, maybe closely related, but I want to point this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, now concerning things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So there were folks who thought they knew a bunch of stuff, and they were proud of the fact that they knew a bunch of stuff. Um, knowledge says, I'm at liberty to do all things, but love adds, but all things do not edify. So I have to take what knowledge I have and apply it with love so that I look to build people up, not to tear people down, not to divide people. Paul confronts the arrogance of some of their members at the church in Corinth. Specifically, he does this in three different places in chapter 4, another place in chapter 5. Generally speaking, it seems like there were brothers and sisters there who belittled weaker brothers and sisters with their knowledge when what they should have done was use it to help them. Puffing up, or this idea of right bowing up and I'm proud, I know stuff, I don't know about you, right? This kind of attitude, guess what? That pleases you and it hurts everyone else. Edifying, on the other hand, benefits the church family around you. So there were some divisions and contentions, fleshly, arrogance, all of these things were some of the problems that we see in the church of Corinth. So let's talk next about what are the consequences of this. So if we talk about at the outset improving our assemblies. There's a reason why I want us to think about that theme as we look at these things. We've talked about the problems. What are some of those consequences of the problems? First, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, it says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Ouch. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul... Walked into this assembly and was given the podium and stood up here and he goes, Well, looks like you're all here, but it's kind of for the opposite reason of what it was supposed to be for. You've turned it into something that it was never supposed to be. You've come together for, not for the better, but for the worse. Paul says that inspired by the Holy Spirit, the church assembling to worship has every benefit and every blessing in mind. And what they were doing was exactly the opposite. And we'll talk about this passage in 1 Corinthians 11 um, as it relates to the Lord's Supper in a moment. First of all, let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Some of the things, because of their divisions and their strife and their troubles, that we've talked about, their fleshliness, their arrogance, their butting of heads. Some of this plays out in problems in their public worship assembly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or, two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, back up to verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise. If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So here's just a couple of examples in the context of the church coming together like we are this morning for the purpose of assembling together as the church to worship God, that there was all sorts of chaos happening that the Apostle Paul is trying to address. So if we go back to our guiding principles, doctrine, right, those basic teachings, and then there's some reproof, right? You need to understand that there's some stuff that's wrong, and a lot of these consequences of their problems are the things that are going wrong, all sorts of stuff going wrong, because people had this idea of what I can do, what I should do, They were talking over each other. There was chaos and confusion. There was, generally speaking, a lack of decorum. So if you're familiar with a court, if you've ever been to one, if there starts to be some mumbling and like some talk and it gets to be a little bit loud, what does the judge do? He says, order in the court. Get back where you're supposed to be. Focus, people. Right? Because stuff is going on that shouldn't be going on, and it's creating problems instead of focus. Order. Scripture teaches us that God is not a God of chaos and disorder. Not confusion, but of peace. And that's what the church needs as well. So we see these things that it seems like there was chaos going on. Um, And On top of that, there were people that were doing things. If you indeed give thanks, well, maybe you're good at certain things, but if it's not helping anyone else, if someone else isn't understanding how smart you are as you try to teach, right? then it's not helping anyone. It's just for you. It's not for them. And it shouldn't be that way. Here's another problem that we see. Literally, the Lord's Supper was a mess in their assemblies. And the Apostle Paul addresses this mess and says, we've got to do something about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and a part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Okay, so let's think of context of what's going on here in Corinth. Um, So there would be, as most places in the first century, when the church came together, Christians who named the name of Christ came together, but they came from different places, different backgrounds. So some of them would come from pagan, Gentile backgrounds. Some of them would come from Jewish backgrounds. And generally speaking, pagans would go when they worshipped little g-gods. They are not God, right? But little g-gods, when pagans would go to do that, a lot of their sacrifices would actually be mixed with all sorts of disgusting stuff that we will not talk about. Things that are sinful and gross and detestable. And most anyone should know that, even if they're not a Christian. But one of the things they would do is they might, as part of their sacrifice to their God, just go ahead and have an all-out blitz where we just drink alcohol and so we're blasted. Completely drunken out of our minds. And somehow, in some way, in the pagan world, that was part of worship. Okay? And so these kinds of things trickle into the church. Shouldn't be that way. And, in general, what would happen as... Many commentaries say as many of the wealthier Corinthians seem to have taken liberty at the Lord's table, at the Lord's Supper, or maybe in their love feast, think potluck, like associated with the assembly, that they would basically eat and drink everything up before the poor were allowed to get anything. And they would be drunk and they would eat all the best stuff and what should have been good and productive and encouraging became something that caused discord and disunion and part of it was related on this rich and poor these different experiences from which they came the lord's supper was a mess people were doing all kinds of things for all the wrong reasons 1 corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Okay, segue, side, sidebar here. What do you see in this passage? What I see is some doctrine, some truth. Okay, some basic principles that if you do things with the wrong motive for the wrong reason without love, it ain't any good. It's junk. Right. You're nothing. Don't do it. So that's a basic teaching that I think we see some doctrine in this. But at the same time, I think it's important that we understand this reproof that we also see here, because chapter 13 that we read this morning um, together is right on the heels of addressing some of their spiritual gifts. You might remember in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that he's talking about there's one body, but many members. There's a diverse set of talents and abilities, gifts, right? And there were to be no divisions. And so he launches into some of the correction, some of the reproof about that, right? And how to correct it is to make sure that they understand about love. Also, in Chapter 14, if we continue to go on and we're looking there, um, all of these things related to the public assembly, Paul addresses those who had the spiritual gift of speaking in languages otherwise unknown to them. So if you read speaking in tongues, that's what it's in essence talking about. Some were doing that um, when the church came together, and no one understood it. So there was someone that had this ability that they could speak in a foreign language that they didn't otherwise know miraculously. And guess what? No one in the audience had any earthly idea what they were saying. It was gibberish. Did that stop those folks? No. Unfortunately, it did not. So if I came up here and I spoke in a language that none of you knew, and I just kept on and on for 30 or 35 minutes, you would tired of that pretty quickly, and it wouldn't help you any. And I'd be doing it just so I could go, look, I know this language, and you don't. Sounds like many of them just wanted to show off their talents and their abilities. That's self-worship. That's not worship of God, and it doesn't build anyone else up. If it's purpose, it's all about putting you on a pedestal. So, you may lead songs like the best of them. And you may preach skillfully. Or you might pray powerfully, or you may sing at your pew perfectly, but if it's just so you can feel good about you and draw attention to you, it's wrong. The assembly is meant to be a bodybuilding activity, it's not a place for you to flex. We have to do what is right for all the right reasons. The assembly of the saints is a place for us to grow, go to grow, and to help others grow. So what are the strategies to confront this? What do we do in the meantime? So we've talked about some doctrine. We've talked about some reproof, right? Telling them the things that are wrong. We've talked about some correction, pointing out, don't do this, do this. As we get into this section, we're definitely going to be talking about correction. We're going to be talking about instruction in righteousness, the things that you need to do that will get you on the right path, that will take you where God wants you to go. And this is where we're going to start. Because in some ways, it seems to me that this is something, as we think about the public assembly, is highly important. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, so we're talking about the church coming together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for Edification. Now, the reason I'm saying this is ultimately important is because this is not the only place in 1 Corinthians that this is talked about. This is not the only place in the New Testament that this is talked about. So, yes, although we come together as the body of Christ, the church in this place, members of this body to build each other up, we're coming to worship God. I understand that. Right. But do we need to build up God? N- no. Nope. If you decide, I want to do the opposite of building up God, you know what? God's God in anyway. You go ahead and do whatever you want. I don't recommend that. But you can do whatever you want, and he's still God. So I don't come to this assembly. I come to worship and praise God. All of us do, and we do that together collectively, which helps build us up. But part of what I do when I come together is I'm thinking about you, not oh, I'm glad they heard that message because they really need to fix their life. Nope, that doesn't encourage, that doesn't help. But if we just think about other passages in the New Testament, they talk about our singing, right? Colossians, teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you hear that? So when you come here to the assembly, the church comes together and you're singing a song. Yes, it's praise to God, but as we sing beneath the cross of Jesus, you know what we're doing? We're teaching doctrine. We're teaching the love of Christ as an example. When we sing that, we're admonishing each other. We're reminding each other that we need to find our protection and our refuge in the cross and in Christ and nothing else. Right? That's what we do. And that's just one example. But I, I, I believe you understand that the assembly is for us to build each other up. And we got all this other junk, Right? that trickles in, it gets in the way of what we're supposed to be doing. That's why we can't have it, right? We can't allow it. We push it out and we grab hold of those things that are good and right for all the right reasons and we pursue them. Not only do we look to build up, but guess what? You need to seek to excel to build up. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12 says, even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be done for the education of the church that you seek. To excel. Not only when you come together are you to consider your brothers and sisters as we worship together in the public assembly, you're supposed to consider them all the time outside too. Acts chapter 2, the church came together house to house daily, right? They did all these things in fellowship, but especially as the church comes together, which is the context of this passage, not only are you to build up as we've already read, but this says you need to build up, and when you do it, you better do it with everything you got. Bring it when you look to build others up. Don't bring junk. Don't bring leftovers. Don't bring something that's just half okay. It's just kind of, well, I kind of did my deal. No. We come with the purpose of building up with everything in us. Not going through the motions, but seeking to be excellent in our approach to helping our brothers and sisters. So I can't help but think about love as a foundation, a guiding principle for us as we think about how we build up. We could have listed the lack of love in the problems section very easily based on all that this book teaches about love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 24, uh, let's try that again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there is no chapter 24, verse 24 But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. That is a word that simply means that there be no division. It's probably more complicated than that, but just think division. There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Care. Concern. We read earlier about being joined perfectly together in the same mind, in the same judgment. That's what the church needs. That's what allows for building up, right? Love is the foundation that causes me to think about you and want to do things that are good for you in the public assembly and outside. And that's the kinds of stuff that strengthens our church. It strengthens the church everywhere. So we have to be focused on these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not seek its own. Love doesn't give up on people. Love seeks the lost until they're found. Love seeks the good of others and should be a driving force at church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, just like it's supposed to be every other hour of the day and day of the week. 1 Corinthians 13, about love in particular, as we think about that chapter, it wasn't written so it could be used at an upcoming marriage workshop. Okay? Okay. It wasn't written to send to two guys who were going at each other. But it works in every single one of those situations. Okay? If we think about the context of when 1 Corinthians 13, where it fits in this letter and what was going on, it was written to a church that was divided. It was written to a church that needed to get over themselves and help each other. I'm not preaching this to you because you need to get over yourself and you need to help each other. I'm preaching because you need to help each other. And if that means getting over yourself, I pray to God you get over yourself. I do. Me too. That's what it takes. And love wins. Love accomplishes the goal. Love serves the purpose Love accomplishes the mission. And that's why toward the end of this letter, the inspired apostle writes, let all that you do be done with love. There's some doctrine for you. There's some truth. And if I keep this truth in mind, it will help me see the things that are wrong with me. And if I keep that truth in mind, it will help me work to correct the things that are wrong. And if I keep that truth in mind, it'll keep pointing me in the direction that God wants me and the church to go. So we strive to be one body, perfectly joined together in the same mind and same judgment, all focused on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, all focused on glorifying God. And when we do that, born out of that will be the opportunity every single time for us to build each other up in the assembly and outside the assembly. We unite instead of dividing and we encourage each other in our faith. That's our mission. That's our purpose. And let's make sure that our awareness is always heightened toward this that we always remember this. If the church here can help you with the need that you have in your life, particularly if you have a spiritual need in your life, we want to pray with you and for you. We want to support you. We want to encourage you. We want to build you up and help one another. That's part of what the body does here on a regular basis. Whether or not you come to the front pew and sit there after we sing this song or during this song, You can have prayer and strength with any of your brothers and sisters who want to help you with the elders, with the leadership here. That's what we seek. And this is an opportunity for you to make those needs known if you want to do that in this assembly. Because people love you and care for you. There may be someone who is not a Christian. And they're fleshly. They're out in the world. They're living divided, right? People are fighting. And there's all the chaos and the turmoil And I pray that what you found as you've been at this place is people who love each other and want to build each other up. And that would cause you to want to consider further about being a member of the body of Christ and giving your allegiance and your loyalty to Jesus because he died for your sins, his blood washes those sins away, and you can be added to the church so that you're built up and so you're encouraged. If we can help you in any way, come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.